All right. It's uh, good to be with you guys this morning. Um, as uh, Ben has mentioned and a couple of other people, uh, my name's Eric. I'm the pastor at City of God Church in Lafayette, Indiana. Um, about five years ago this month, uh, we left Prairie View uh, to go and start a new church with a couple of uh, former youth group kids from here. Um, and it's been incredible to see what God has done over the past few years. Um, and as been said, you guys have supported that work and funded that work. Um, and so it's always uh, great to have an opportunity to get back and to share with you uh, here on a Sunday morning. And so I was excited when Ben uh, emailed me and asked, hey, do you want to come preach? Excited to come back. Um, and then he sent me the topic and I wasn't as excited. This is the first time Ben's hearing this. Um, so the reason being, though. You're in a series on the Ten Commandments, and so this morning we're looking at the Sixth Commandment from Exodus 20:13. Do not murder, and the problem is none of you struggle with that. Okay, as, unless Prairie View has drastically changed since I left, none of you have that as an issue. And so we could wrap up the sermon now, which time-wise kind of makes sense, but okay, um, we're going to do a little. I will be to the point today, okay? Um, so we need to ask the question, well, what does this kind of commandment have for us today? So, do not murder. It's pretty uh, straightforward. No one's admitting that at your small group. You could convince me that Tom Coors offed a few people earlier in his life. But other than that, I don't know who this is for this morning. But the more that you uh, dig, you can ask some questions about it. So with a command like do not murder, you could deal with some controversial issues that we run into into today. Excuse me, into today. You could ask the question, what does a commandment have to say for things like medical, ethical controversies that we debate? Does it have anything to say about issues like euthanasia or abortion? But I'm not going to get that controversial this morning, okay? I'm not going to be a guest, Ben, don't worry. And yet, although it would be fair because that's what Joshua Walker did to me. And what I mean is Josh is an elder here at this church. I said, Josh, why don't you come preach at City of God? So he comes. I said, what are you going to preach on? He says, Christian unity. Awesome. We need to be unified. What he meant was, how should Christians be unified on every controversial topic he could think of? So Josh came and preached and talked about things like uh, Calvinism and women in ministry and mode of baptism and form a church government and anything he could think of in times views. And his answer to every question was, you should be unified. Ask Eric how that's going to happen. And so I had a fun few weeks after he did that. Um, but I won't do that to, to you guys today. And so the question I want to ask is this. A pretty straightforward command like this that I'm pretty sure none of you struggle with. What does it have to say to us? And one of the things I would encourage you to do, and I'm sure Ben has encouraged you to do this, as you've been looking at the Ten Commandments, is to go to the New Testament and look at how did these New Testament authors and writers uh, teach or interpret commands like this? And when you look at that commandment, you shall not murder, and you look at how that got fleshed out in the New Testament, they did some fairly interesting things with it. And the way that it was taught by Jesus and Paul and John, who we're going to look at today specifically, um, had some teaching on this commandment that went deeper than the physical act of murder. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3 this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. But Jesus addresses this commandment in Matthew chapter 5. Paul addresses it in Romans chapter 13. John here in 1 John chapter 3, which we're going to look at this morning. And in all of those instances, their teaching on this commandment goes deeper than physically murdering somebody. 
And it actually does have something to say to us today. It does give us something to think about today. Because every time this commandment is taught on in the New Testament, it goes deeper than the physical act of murder. It goes to the attitudes of the heart that might lead someone to murder. But even if they haven't murdered somebody, the New Testament deals with these uh, attitudes and feelings that we have toward other people. Uh, that could be uh, the seed of this, feelings like this for somebody else. John Calvin and his Institutes of the Christian Religion on uh, this commandment raises the issue of not only physical murder, but heart murder. And that's kind of where John takes this in 1 John chapter 3, that there's a, a heart issue that we need to deal with here this morning. Because if you look down at verse 15 of 1 John 3, uh, John makes a connection that we might not make. Uh, John parallels something we may not always put in parallel because he simply says this in verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Okay? That's a different way of thinking about murder than most of us might. And that's got some different uh, connotations with it than we might put on that sixth commandment. But as John thought about murder, he didn't simply think about the physical act, but he said, what is your attitude toward another person? And that this sixth commandment speaking into that as well. And so here in first John three, the Bible's digging in underneath, uh, underneath our feelings for other people, our attitudes toward other people. And as we walk through a few verses in first John chapter three this morning, uh, we're going to see that this commandment may have more for us than it appears to have on the surface. OK, let's start in verse 10 of first John three, first John uh, chapter three, verse 10. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so the issue of love and hate is central to John in this chapter here and this passage here. And as he gets into this section, he raises an issue that we do need to do something with before getting to the specific issue of hatred and murder. John says here in verse 10 that there are two ways that you can know if someone's a believer, that there's two pieces of evidence that you can use to see if someone's following Jesus. And the two that he raises here are uh, pursuing righteousness, practicing righteousness, and do they love their brother? And when John uses brother here in his letter, he's talking in a spiritual sense, our spiritual brothers and sisters, those closest to us in Christ. And he says, look at someone's life. Are they pursuing righteousness? Do they love other believers? If they are, that's evidence that maybe Jesus has done a work in them. That's evidence that they're following him. And so I want to look at this idea this morning briefly of what does John mean when he says these are evidences of someone who's following Jesus? Because there's some ideas in First John that you have to hold in tension. Because here John says this is evidence of someone that's following Jesus. But if you back up to chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9, John can say something like, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so in one chapter, John is quick to say Christians are not going to be perfect. And you know that. Look at the person sitting next to you. Christians are not. That was a joke. Christians are not perfect people. 
But on the other hand, chapter 3, he comes along and says, the way that you're going to know if someone's a believer is the kind of life that they live, the lifestyle that they have. And so John holds these ideas in tension throughout his letter that a Christian is someone who is pursuing righteousness, but a Christian is also somebody who's going to sin, who's going to stumble and make mistakes. But they confess that sin and Jesus cleanses us and forgives us. And so the way that John approaches the Christian life in this letter is this. If you are a believer, if you're following Jesus, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to stumble. There's still going to be sin there. But we also recognize that as we follow Jesus, there should be this slow progression of holiness that develops in our life, that we should see this uh, pattern throughout our life of looking more and more like Jesus. And John can give both of, uh, both of those ideas to us as a picture of what the Christian life looks like. And so he says specifically, if we're talking about pursuing righteousness, pursuing holiness, one of the things we need to consider is, what's our attitude toward those who are closest to us? What's our attitude toward other believers? And that that goes a long way toward showing not only ourselves, but the people around us where our relationship with God is at. And so as we begin to get into this specific instance that he gives us here, as John begins to deal with this idea of uh, murder and hatred and how we relate to one another, he picks up with it in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And when John talks about the message that people have heard from the beginning, he's talking about the gospel message that this church had heard, that apostles had come, that followers of Jesus had come, and they, they had taught this church early on, this is who Jesus is, this is what he's come and accomplished. And as a part of that, John says, you heard the message to love one another. And it comes directly from Jesus. One of my favorite sections of scripture, John chapter 13 to 17 it's the night before Jesus is about to die. He's spending time with his disciples. He knows his time is short. And so given the circumstances, you know that what Jesus says to them in that moment is going to be hugely important for them. And one of the things that he stresses in that final conversation that he has with his followers before his resurrection is the love that they have for one another. Specifically in John 13, 34, Jesus gives this commandment that John's just quoted. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. In the rest of 1 John 3, we're told that we're either going to love one another or hate one another. That as we follow Jesus, there's not a lot of room for indifference toward each other in the church. That our attitudes are going to lean one way or the other when it comes to the person I worship with. I'm in their small group. When it comes to the person that I gather together with on Sunday mornings, there's going to be feelings I have toward them. And John's trying to stress to this church, you're going to love that person as Jesus has called us to love one another. Or there are going to be some feelings of um, hatred sounds strong, but that's what John says here, or anger or envy. And we're going to get into a few of those things and see how we are to love one another. 
before John turns his focus toward our love for each other, he does give us an example that we just read about. He goes back to Genesis chapter four and he says, if you want to see an example of what it means to hate one another, to murder one another, he uses the story of Cain and Abel. And if you're not familiar with that story, we won't turn there now, but Cain and Abel were brothers. And in Genesis 4, they both bring a sacrifice to God. And as they come and bring that sacrifice to God, we find that God is displeased with Cain's offering, but he's pleased with Abel's. And because of that, Cain ultimately kills his brother. And there's some clues in Genesis 4 about why God was displeased with Cain. It seems like there was some uh, sin in his life he had not dealt with, with the way that God responds to Cain. But for whatever reason, because God, in a sense, rejected his offering there, Cain decides to murder his brother. And John uses this as the example of this is what can happen when hatred begins to get stirred up in our hearts. Now, one of the things that's incredibly important to understand here as John fleshes out this story from Genesis 4 is what was Cain's motivation for murdering his brother? Because when we come together and we talk about what are our attitudes toward other people in this room, when most people think about issues they have with anger or resentment or bitterness, issues that are kind of the the root of what we're talking about here, the sixth commandment, not to murder, not to think of people in that way. Typically, when we think about our struggle to love other people, it's our struggle to love other people who have wronged us. And many of you probably have a lot of examples from that, whether it was growing up, someone who had wronged you, whether it's a family member that has hurt you, whether it's a close friend that turned their back on you or stabbed you in the back. That to me, when I begin to think about issues of anger that I deal with, resentment that I deal with, the first faces of people that pop in my head are the people who have done something wrong to me. And there's definitely a flavor of that that we're going to talk about in just a second. The issue is when Cain talks or excuse me, when John talks about the story of Cain and Abel, he doesn't talk about Cain killing Abel because Abel had done something wrong to him. That when you look at that story, it's not like Abel had hurt him. It's not like Abel had taken the last piece of chicken at dinner. Normal things that families fight about been wronged in some way. Cain was jealous of Abel. And that stirred up anger in him, that stirred up resentment in him. John says it here in 1 John chapter 3, that verse that we just read, that the reason that Cain killed Abel, the reason he went after his brother, is because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And he knew that his brothers were righteous and he saw that they were in the way that God responded to him. And so as we talk about this issue of, again, uh, what's called murder of the heart, what's kind of the attitude underneath how we eventually get to a place where we have to be told not to hurt someone in that way. When we get to that anger underneath there, one of the things that we realize from John chapter three is this. And if we're just being honest and thinking about this, a lot of the time. The person that I struggle with anger, with resentment, if I really think about it, isn't the person who has wronged me. It's the person who has something that I think I deserve. Okay. Yes, there are people that have hurt us and we struggle to love them. But John says here, the reason Cain struggled to love Abel is because Abel had something that Cain wanted and Cain couldn't have it. And as we think about what does it look like to love one another in this room this morning, to do the opposite of what we're commanded not to do in the sixth commandment, 
Part of the reason we struggle to love one another isn't because we're necessarily hurt by somebody, but because it's easy to look around at each other in a room where we see each other so often and realize there are people who have things that we wish we did and we don't. As we continue to see what uh, John is talking about here, we're going to look at some specifics of that. But in verse 14, John continues and says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brothers, whoever does not love abides in death. And so as John gives a warning about loving one another and not having hatred for one another, envy for one another, he says the opposite of that is to love one another. The opposite of that is to pursue relationships with one another. And again, as we've just mentioned, the problem that Cain had with Abel, what fueled Cain's hatred for Abel to a large degree was envy. And if you've been in the church very long, and uh, may, many of you may have experienced this, I did growing up in a church that went through a church split, that you see some nasty things happen in the church. A lot of the discord that happens in the church isn't because somebody wrongs you, but because somebody gets envious of somebody else. Okay? There's a person in leadership, and in your mind you know you would be a way better leader than that person. Okay? You have gifts that they don't have. You're not being used the way that you should be used. So what happens? We get bitter toward that person who has something that we want. We look around at other families in the church and the person who has the marriage that you wish you had. And you begin to tell yourself things like he doesn't deserve her. She doesn't deserve him. Or we begin to tear them down in our own minds. There's no way they're like that when they're at home. Okay. This is especially true when you have kids and your kids, the one doing laps during the sermon. And you see these three kids sitting in their chair, quiet, not doing anything wrong. And you begin to get envious of what that other person has. You begin to get self-conscious about what people think about you. And we begin to tear down those people in the church who have things that we wish we did. A gifting that we don't have that we wish we had. And as all these things continue to stew, there's, there's or bitterness that grows up. There's envy that grows up. There's anger that begins. And it... It turns into uh, gossip and it turns into disunity and it turns into things like uh, church splits and people who can't get along with each other. And so John gives us this, this as an example to show us that there's actually two paths you can walk down that lead to hatred toward another believer. They may have wronged you and that's the most natural one we would think of. But like Cain with Abel, it may simply be somebody has something that you wish you did and we get envious because of that. As we continue to look at this, because the church is this collection of people from different backgrounds, uh, whatever it might be, we get envious of the person in the pew with the salary, not chairs, you know, uh, the person with the salary that we don't have, that, that we deserve, the person who's on stage and we deserve to be on stage. The small group leader has more people coming to his or her house than you have coming to your small group. There's lots of ways that we can get jealous of one another. As we start to look at what is the way out of this, many of us can probably think of instances where we've gotten envious in that way and we see the feelings that stirred up within us. But we don't want to go as far as John to say that that again, we struggle to call it hatred, but those feelings we had towards somebody in the church. Is that really as bad as murder? Because that's what John says here. He says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. He equates the two things. 
And while he might not be saying that physically it has the same consequences as if you had done that to somebody, again, underneath that he's saying the same thing that happens in the heart of somebody who does take the life of somebody else can look a lot in the heart like the person who is jealous of somebody else, angry towards somebody else. I.H. Marshall, who's a New Testament professor, simply says this. He calls hatred murder in embryonic form. Okay? That you can see that the seed, the root, looks very similar, almost looks identical. And so as we continue to look at 1 John 3, one of the things we want to ask ourselves is this, is knowing that our hearts are inclined to that, to want things that we don't have, to want things that we can't have and that somebody else might. How do we guard our hearts against that? And how do we pursue love for one another in the midst of this struggle that John has raised here? If you paid attention to verse 14, I think John gives us the way out of this. I think John gives us the way to rescue our hearts from this kind of anger and bitterment and resent, uh, bitterness and resentment. Notice again in verse 14, he said this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And it's very important to see what John has done here in verse 14 because he says this. If you have passed from death to life, you will be somebody who loves fellow believers. Passing from death to life happens before you're able to love other believers, before you can get beyond the hard issues that he's raised here. And if you read John's letters or his gospel at all, you become quickly aware that there's concepts and phrases and ideas that he uses in very particular and specific ways. For example, this concept of life or eternal life shows up repeatedly throughout John's letters, repeatedly throughout the gospel. And the very last verse of this letter, he sheds light on what he means when he says this is what it means to have life. Verse 20 of chapter 5, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. What is life for John? It's Jesus. And when John considers eternal life, maybe think about this. When you think about what life will be like beyond this life, what do you get most excited about? And for a lot of people, there's lots to be excited about that we think about the, fa- uh, the friends of the family that we might see for the first time in a long time. It'll be cool to walk on streets of gold. Haven't done that a lot in my life. Okay? We hear Jesus say things like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And we get excited about what's the place that Jesus... HGTV can do some awesome stuff with some houses. But if Jesus has been taking care of it for 2,000 years, that's going to be an awesome place. And we get excited about all of these things that we're going to experience after this life. And the reality is that John shows us this not only here, but later in the book of Revelation, that the main reason to be excited about life beyond this one is Jesus. That you get to be with him and see him and spend eternity with him. And so part of what John's saying here is this, is that before you can love your brother in the way that he's describing here, you need to experience the life that John's describing in this letter and that life primarily being life with Jesus. And here's why John makes that jump. Here's why he says you can't truly love your fellow believer until you've experienced life with Jesus. And there's a very important reason for this. 
The reason we get envious of other people is we assume if we had what they did, then we would be happy. If my marriage looked like their marriage, then I would be happy. If my kids behaved like their kids, then I would be happy. If I had his income or her degree or his spot on the stage or that kind of voice, then life would be great. And what John is reminding this church in this letter is this. If you're a believer, you already have the only thing that's going to satisfy you in that way. That we look to all these other things to satisfy us. And John is saying, no, you already have life if you have Jesus. That he will satisfy you. That he will make you happy. That he will give you joy and peace. And because Jesus can satisfy us and can satisfy us in that way, what can happen? I can love the person who has something that I want. Why? Because we both already have the most important thing in this life. That when I begin to frame my priorities and what's important to me and what brings us together, I can want to work on my marriage. I can want to become a better parent. I can want to have a better income. But at the end of the day, no, I have a life because I have Jesus and you have life because you have Jesus. And there's not competition anymore. There's not competing. There's not jealousy or jockeying for position that Jesus has given us both already all things. And it levels the playing field in the church. And I don't look to those things that I'm envious of to satisfy me. I look to Jesus who has already satisfied me. And it heals the church and it brings unity and it brings people together. As we look at this, and we're going to be wrapping up here in a few minutes. If there's someone in the church that you struggle with, that you've been uh, envious of, that you felt bitterness toward, anger toward, and it's because of the kind of thing that John describes here. What John is calling us to realize this morning is this, is the thing that you think is going to bring you joy and peace and happiness ultimately isn't going to. And the reality is, if you're following Jesus, what you need to experience that is already in your life. If you'll just receive it, if you'll just accept it, if you'll just understand what it is. And so relationships can be healed and people you felt bitterness toward, you can let go of that because you know what they have isn't the thing that's going to satisfy you. And that's why John keeps life with Jesus at the forefront of this letter. But as I said earlier, it's not just the people that we're envious of that we struggle with feelings of uh, hatred for, angerness toward, that there are people who have hurt us and wronged us in the church, and we've seen that happen. Like I said, I remember growing up, watching a church split happen. Uh, I was young, but I was old enough to understand what was happening and to see the kinds of things that people in the church were saying about each other, saying about the leadership, saying about people that they took communion with. It was incredible to me and made an impact impact on me. And I'll be honest, I've got a father who was a part of that church and now goes to church on Easter and Christmas because my mom wants him to. Why? Because of what he witnessed happened in that church when those people hated each other in that way. It doesn't just impact your life, your relationships with other people when anger and bitterness is a problem. It impacts the people who are going to walk in this church and say, if this is what Christians are like, I don't want any part of it. I can have a golfing buddy on Sunday morning and we'll have more fun. And just as a heads up, Ben did not say there was an issue with that. There's no specific in here, okay? 
just thinking about it. It's coming. Those feelings are in our heart and we're trying to check those and make sure they are where they need to be. And so the final verse we'll look at this morning is this. And this is the ultimate reason that we can forgive one another and love one another and let go of those feelings that entangle us when we think about those people who frustrate us. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What you begin to recognize is this, is that once you've experienced the power of the gospel, you're able to forgive in a way that you could never forgive before. You're able to love in a way that you could never love before. The reason being is because once you understand the gospel, you understand this, that the story of the Bible and the reality I find there is that humanity and myself as a part of that. We had rejected God. We had rebelled against him. We struggle to live a life that's honoring to him. And if anyone was deserving or just for being angry, for being unforgiving, for being unloving, it would have been God toward us. But the reality that we find in the gospel is this, is that even though we have resisted him and pushed him away, that even though we have walked away from God, what did he do for us? He pursued us and loved us and forgave us and adopted us. And all of these different things we find in the Bible, we find God doing to, as Paul would say in the book of Romans, his enemies. And so I have experienced forgiveness when I didn't deserve it. I've experienced grace when I didn't deserve it. And so what does that do for me in my relationships with other people? The reason that I can love instead of uh, hating people in the way that John describes here in the Ten Commandments that we find in Exodus is this, is that because I've experienced the love of God in such a powerful way that he would love and pursue and forgive me even when I didn't deserve it, I can do that for other people. And it's not going to be easy. It's not like it's a switch you can flip. But the reality is, is that we can love in a way that the world doesn't understand because we've experienced love from Jesus that the world doesn't understand. And so as we wrap up this morning, I just want to encourage you that as you consider life together, relationships together, relationships in this church, as you're constantly reminded of the grace and the kindness that God has shown you, Show that kind of grace and love and kindness to others, even when they have wronged you, because that is what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Father, thank you so much for this morning and our time together. God, I pray now that as we head out of this place this morning, that you would simply remind us of that fact that you have given us all things even when we deserve judgment or wrath. God, that you have been kind to us when, when that's not what our lives would have merited. Father, thank you for the love and the grace that you show us. Father, I pray for unity in this church. God, that there is, if there is any disunity between people in this room, that because of their love for you and because of their love for God's people, they would take care of that. So personally for their own lives, but also so that when others come into this room and see the love that these believers have for one another, that they're attracted to that, that they're inspired by that. But maybe more than that, they're shown a picture of what Jesus is like. Father, we love you. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen.